Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. On this episode, I'm going to be talking with my buddies Cody Callum and Noah Montgomery from Born and Raised. When we first started the podcast, we only had one topic in mind and that was elk hunting, but we ended up having a cool conversation that pretty much boils down to how we can use past hunting experiences, no matter what species we're hunting, to become better hunters overall. We talk about how we find a lot of similarities in hunting different species across the country. So there's a little bit for the deer hunter, there's a little bit for the turkey hunter, and there's a little bit for the elk hunter. I think that no matter what your interest is, you'll take something away from it. So as you guys know, we're on the turkey tour right now, and we just had videos going up from North Carolina. And in the North Carolina videos, you'll notice that Hayden is running a red dot scope on his turkey gun. Several of the guys from THP this year are using red dots, and the red dots that we use are from Vortex Optics. The reason that we use Vortex Optics is because of their VIP warranty. And VIP stands for Very Important Promise to You. Vortex will repair or replace your Vortex product in the event it becomes damaged or defective. We think that's pretty cool. Basically, we view it as once you buy a Vortex product, you're going to have it for life because they're going to take care of you even if something happens to it. If you guys want to get 10% off Vortex Optics, you can use the code THP10 at eurooptic.com. You can also check the description of this podcast to find that code and click the link there. So last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. And that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social media community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Also, if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit downloadgowild.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to get started. So everybody here at THP shoots bear archery, and we all shoot different bows, but we all really like our bows. Ted has been shooting the bear species for the last couple of years. He really likes that bow. The cool thing about that bow is you can buy it ready to hunt. It comes with a quiver, sight, rest, stabilizer, and it's a really affordable bow. So if you're in the market for a new bow, check out beararchery.com. And if you want to get 10% off of all bear equipment, you can use our code THP10. All right, let's talk hunting with Cody and Noah. All right. Hey, oh, give me a minute. I need to get in the elk mode. We're talking elk. We're rolling, baby. We talking elk. Podcast right, I'm is there. on. I'm there. No, I'm there. Right, it took me a minute. <laughs> we decided we are going to talk about elk, and I thought, man, I got to get in the mode. Been in turkey mode. We're turkey hunting. It's bulls of the spring, so it's okay. an easy transition. <laughs> see what I'm saying? Wait, I, I See, the thing is, is I don't see where he's wrong, though. Here's the deal. They're very comparable. And I like I admitted to Cody, like I told Cody on the drive out here, man, if I had to pick one guy to elk hunt with who's never elk hunted in his life and he's only other done one practice of hunting, I'm going to pick a guy who hunts mountain birds. Yeah. Like I would pick that over a whitetail hunter, over a mule deer hunter, whatever. I'd pick the guy who's just hunts mountain birds. Uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, Totally in agreement. That's on. that's my point on it. Yeah, but like, 
there I'm are not, yeah there I, are a ton of similarities of how you go about the process of turkey hunting mm-hmm. that you do elk hunting mm-hmm. trains different the um build up to a kill is definitely smaller yeah. just because there's yeah. more opportunities you get to kill sure. multiple birds all of that and yeah you're dealing with something that's 19 pounds versus Hey, dude, so, hey, down over in Iowa, they'll get up 28-30. Get a big one? <laughs> get you a good bird. 48-incher. <laughs> they'll get 52 sometimes. 52? Are you serious? Yeah, the guy actually just sent me a picture of one that was like 51 or 52 or something like that. They'll and for all you listeners that don't know what the long bird is instead of a long beard, <laughs> fill them in, Zach. Well, have you guys ever heard the origin of the long bird story? No. No, but I want to. Okay, so I've got this buddy, John. He's my friend from college. Um, not a big hunter. We got babies. First off, I just want to guys set the listeners in and give them a whole view of what is happening right now. We're in Ohio, uh-huh. and I'm sitting on a couch on Noah's sleeping bag. <laughs> With his yeah. stuff scattered Thanks. halfway across the I'm room. I'm packing. Look at that. Those but are folded. The best part about <laughs> it, we're at... <laughs> we're at an apartment that none of us have any association with other than friends. Yeah. Yeah. My, But aren't friends great? Yeah. They, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But... Zach, you've been here for four days, and Ben has not been here once yeah. yet. Yeah, and I actually thought he was going to be back, and he's not. Tried calling him, no answer. So Zach was in like a little editing pool for the better part of the last three decade days, <laughs> and he's sitting on this futon with his laptop, and we like he just uploaded the video, which is North Carolina episode eleven of the yep. Turkey Tour, twenty twenty two. So go watch that if you haven't. But he's we. He uploads this video, then we all just kind of look around, and he has this, like, monkey off his back, and he just looks down, and he's just, like, swimming in subway wrappers. (laughs) 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 Just sitting in his board shorts, just like, what is going on? How long have I been sitting here? (laughs) Same outfit, just a pair of shorts for three days straight now. But anyways, I feel like I'm sitting back in college. Yeah. Like, I didn't go to college. Uh, this is the batch. This is the bachelor pad, though. Yeah. Like we've been, we've been uh, spending quite a bit of time here, and I think it's in its. I think it's in its final uh, semester. You know, we're Ben's thinking about moving out of here, which is kind of disappointing. But yeah, we've been really taking advantage of this place. Bit so, of an end of an era for you. Yeah, it, it it is weird. Like you know how you go through like those different stages of hunting, and you get these different camps in different areas, and it it is a little weird to be standing here looking out the window some days and thinking man this might be this could be the last time i'm here i don't know because like i I have got used to spending time here but it's also nice too because as soon as i start worrying about that i'm like it's gonna force me to go somewhere else you know hit a different state or hit a different area but yeah anyhow it's quite the setting though we have camera gear laptops boots chacos crocs water jugs um and and the funny thing is too because ben's not here you guys aren't experiencing camp mom like he loves this uh, like when everybody's here dude he gets a crock pot he'll have meals when everybody gets back like you know have groceries like he's dang it 
he really is camp mom and it's funny that he's not here for all this because it is quite the experience what i've loved the last two days is you're from ohio correct Mm -hmm. so we're in zach's home state on his home turf getting hunting ground he's hunted before and kind of like our first week of hunting easterns we're getting to do it in kind of the area zach learned how to hunt Mm -hmm. turkeys you Mm -hmm. know so i thought that was pretty pretty cool and special that he's been able to kind of share his his turf with us and a lot of a lot of stories i was joking about it today with cody we were walking through the woods and like every 50 75 yards felt like oh yeah and we shot a deer right here (laughs) and right here if so-and-so was standing 20 yards to the left they would have killed another buck right here it was just like all day long (laughs) like how many deer have you guys killed (laughs) a few that is that is one of the cool parts about i was thinking about this is i was filming you walking down the hill today i'm just like man that guy's good looking yeah well that (laughs) and (laughs) yes and i was thinking just like how crazy it is that i have shared you know the location with so many friends and have so many memories in these places and that i I do really enjoy that and it's cool that you guys are here and sometimes it seems surreal that we are sitting here in ohio because you know prior till now we'd only hunted what colorado cody and i yeah and then oregon for turkey the three of us last year but uh yeah it's been a lot of fun i'm glad you guys are here and i'm sure i'm sure it's not our last turkey trip no i I, yeah i'm so obsessed with this right now i mean (laughs) and it is like we were talking about this earlier like whatever season's going on you're like fully all in on it that's yeah that's the argument that i have where it's like People oftentimes, they want to argue deer turkey or turkey or elk or bear turkey or whatever it may be. And it's like, man, I just love hunting. At the end of the day, I love that pursuit. And whatever I can be chasing, I'm going to enjoy. And honestly, I've never hunted like spring bear, which is popular for hunters in your guys' neck of the woods. But I know that if I started doing it, I would become obsessed with it. If you bow hunted on with us, and I mean, you, I think you would have a great time. Mm-hmm. And like, like you said, the seasonality of it all. Like, April for me means turkey hunting. Like, mm-hmm. that's just what it's meant for a long time. May means spring bear hunting. Like, a lot of times we don't even touch the spring bear woods during April because they're just not out yet. But with that said, if there was twelve Septembers, I don't know if I'd do anything else. Yeah. Well, and I feel that I'm getting to be that way as well as we talked about a lot today. I just really. Get fired up I do. talk I, about I, elk. I do get fired up about it. And I, I, knew, I always knew I would. And for the longest time, I probably told you guys this before, but growing up in Ohio, when you talk to somebody about elk hunting, it's definitely not a yearly thing. It's like this unattainable thing. Yeah, like a it's a once in a lifetime. Yeah. And it, I guess for a lot of people, that still will be the case because... Um, you do have to be dedicated for it to be a every year yeah. thing if yep. you're not from, you know, a state where you can get a resident tag every year or whatever. Yeah, or it's got to be high on the priority list. You definitely have to, you know, set yourself up to do it. But with that being said, to get tags, you can do that every year. You can get a tag to hunt elk every single year. And you can, like, 
I mean, there's so many different routes that you can do, like just within a state, let alone all mm-hmm. the states where elk are present. So if you're trying to maximize your opportunity, you can absolutely go in, start hunting with a group of buddies, start spreading the tags out year to year, you know, save yourself money individually there, you know, split the trip costs, split the, 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 um, packing yeah you know when you're actually get some down stuff like that i think the biggest challenge and you know took it for granted growing up having elk woods out your back door 10 10 miles from the house yeah like like literally yeah yeah i've there and multiple times i've been gone in september and bulls have been screaming in the blm chunk behind my house Uh i've never got to witness it but um (laughs) yeah that's a whole other topic of like driving past animals to hunt animals. yeah exactly <laughs> um but i think you know taking for granted the learning curve from the age of 12 it's the yeah. first time i archery elk hunted till i was 18 till i killed one so i had six years there then if you were lived in ohio and think about six you know trips to colorado right that's mm-hmm. like the token mm-hmm. over the counter the closest one um that's a lot of time a lot of money mm-hmm. a lot of gas that could and be honestly probably a lot of failure I- exactly yeah. like your wife's gonna go you're going out there elk hunting again you've never killed one you've you never know? even seen one <laughs> yeah you know so but i do think like this is where we talk about the correlation of like turkey hunting if someone actually like makes that click and if they're successful turkey hunting the mountains mm-hmm. it's you just apply it at a bigger scale and throw wind in the factor and you could probably you know read and sign and understanding the habitat and like take deer and turkey if you're a whitetail hunter in anywhere you know in the Appalachian Mountains or mm-hmm. um, foothills of that or, or I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, hilly terrain across the country. I mean, even the driftless area of uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota and stuff, like all those hills are similar to the mountains on a small scale. So it's like if you mash up turkey and deer and how you read the sign and how you hunt those animals... You just blow that way up and, and kind of look at it from the same, I guess the same, just 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 the same strategy as far as how they're using the yeah. landscape, but just way, way bigger scale. Yeah. And don't be intimidated by that scale either, because yeah. it is going to be a different level. Like that's, that's, that's a big hurdle, I think, if, especially if you're doing it alone. Like if all of a sudden you're like wait, that, that big saddle that looks really good is six miles from the truck. Like, that's a lot different than, you know, the two miles in the hardwoods that you're dealing with yeah. in, in Indiana or, or Ohio yeah. or whatever. I was thinking about this today. I would encourage someone that has an aspiration to go elk hunting out west, take a week and go spring turkey hunting in those mountains. Mm-hmm. You may not be in the same exact country as some of the elk, but you may be, and at least get your, like, you know, if you if you have a goal of 2024, I want to go elk hunting, well, spring of 23, go out there. If you had a unit picked out, you know, a lot of those units that have elk have turkeys, yeah. Yeah. you could go explore and at least kind of wet your whistle on it. So yeah. when you roll in there in September and you see it for the first time, you're just like, 
I'm supposed to go hunt that. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. I was just, I was thinking about that. That'd be a good stepping stone. It's like a perspective on the scale. Of yeah. Lear- just learning the roads, the trails, and then something we talk a lot. Elk's behavior in the spring versus September is vastly different, but just mm-hmm. learning the area. And if in the spring you're finding cows and you're finding rubs from the past year, that's probably somewhere I'd check out in September, yeah. you know? And it was cool. We had the pleasure of hunting with Patrick this year, who's a turkey biologist down in Georgia, I believe, mm-hmm. right at the University of Georgia. Yep. Um, awesome dude, great guy, and just insane wealth of knowledge on, like, all things turkeys. Uh-huh. And something that stuck out to me, like you said, of just the similarities between the two. He was kind of giving me and Strand a lesson on turkey behavior, Um throughout the nesting cycle and 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 what they're doing at different times throughout the spring and something that stuck out to me is strand was like man some of the like a lot of those things are so similar to elk it's crazy you know and patrick said you'd be amazed at how many things in ecology are vastly similar right so aside from turkey and elk animal behavior mm-hmm. when you boil it down to their basic needs and breeding cycles are are so 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 similar mm-hmm. you know and don't over complicate it just because you've never seen an elk never been anywhere where there are right. elk if you're if you're a good hunter and, and you're paying attention to the woods everywhere you go I, I think you'd be pretty pleased with your experience yeah i agree with that and i the I, i'm trying to think of the best way really to explain when I say blowing up the scale, I think it's so easy to say that. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you're hunting, like, the Rocky Mountains versus, you know, some, like, little dinky hills of, you know, eastern Kentucky or something. It's like, in comparison, yeah, they're obviously s- super different. But, you know, a finger ridge that has a flat spot at the end of it where the nose is is still the place where... Th- the elk are going to bed. It's still the place the whitetail is going to bed. Yeah. Like where Strand found that shed mm-hmm. a couple mornings ago, out on the nose of that finger above a main creek, there's a main ridge, you know, behind it connected to it. That finger's coming off that main ridge, and right where that flattens out and drops off, the deer bed right on the end of that where they can look down. Blow that way up onto a big main, you know, main ridge of a mountain where there's a big finger. And comes up with exactly where jake just killed a bull in september Mm -hmm. in colorado it's like same exact terrain feature but it's just like way bigger so like when you're looking at that on the map just understanding that like it is going to take some more work but that's you know that's the expectation i think you just have to have going into it but it's also like at the same time it's not always like that like the mountains we were hunting in west virginia were abrupt they were mm-hmm. legit honestly i didn't i underestimated them and we've killed elk i know i have personally and cody probably has too and most of the group probably has in terrain that's even more favorable than that mm-hmm. you know or a lot mm-hmm. less harsh than where we were turkey hunting and, so and, it doesn't there, mean there are elk, like i know some places in oregon like the hills here in ohio that has elk covered yeah. all over it I mean, similar terrain, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, so it doesn't mean insane 3,000-foot vertical changes in ridge systems. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes... Depending you, on where you are, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What What was the, like, I want to go elk hunting, I'm going to do this? What What was that, like, 
click or shift where it became a priority for you? I think I just started realizing that you can do it. And, yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not the type of person to just like, yeah, I want to go hunt this every couple of years. Like even with pronghorn, for example. Like when I did it, it was just like, okay, I'm hunting pronghorn or I'm filming somebody spawn stock archery pronghorn every year like that and if i miss a year it it'll be kind of a big deal for me i think i want to do that for forever it's just something that i want to get better at so with elk when i realized that i could down the road like consider myself an elk hunter not just a whitetail hunter that goes elk hunting i want to be an elk hunter and when i realized that i could be an elk hunter that's what was like i gotta start doing this now because i don't want to get to a point where you know i'm i'm in my 40s and i'm just getting into it you know i wanted to start in my 20s when i felt like i could start getting a lot of good experience that way by the time i was in my 40s i could consider myself an elk hunter and honestly in in just three years of doing and i consider myself an elk hunter i feel i feel confident saying that and i feel confident in what i've learned and um and I, and I can say that i was there for the first time you got a bull to respond <laughs> yeah i was thinking i was actually thinking about that on the drive out today uh, when i was gonna go roost and i was just like was so pumped up i just remember running up the hill and giving you a big hug <laughs> we screwed it up faster than it started but we, you got a bull to scream back uh-huh. at you yeah and I, I mean just that whole experience being able to go with you guys and just be able to look at an amount of sign and say this is worth looking at or not worth looking at because i think you know when you whitetail for example i take a lot of that type of stuff for granted that sign what that means you know is this enough to pay attention to or is this something i'm blowing past is this a rub line that's random is this a uh, you know, is this a doe trail, is this buck trail, is this buck bed, doe bed, whatever. All those things I feel like I kind of have taken for granted because it's just like, you know, 20-some years of doing it. Second nature to you know. Right. And with elk, on the other hand, it's like, oh, man, there's a rub. That's pretty cool. Like, am I supposed to be seeing way more than this or way less? You know, there's, oh, there's some scat. Is that enough or should we be looking for areas with more? You know, do we want more trails, less trails, whatever. Those were the questions that I didn't have. And then um, specifically about the style that I've done the most of in elk hunting is like bivy camping, backpack hunting. The thing that will always be the number one thing that I learned in that first year and ultimately was like what made me so confident to stomp in to where we ended up killing one like when i went back with ben and colin is you were showing me places as we were hunting places that we were going to try to get to to camp at to be able to hear a lot and i immediately started linking that to and that and, and it even solidified my turkey strategy even where it's like i gotta quit worrying about so much of like the small details in between let's get to a point where we can hear a ton 
we can hear the entire world. How can we look at the map and maximize? Okay, we can hear down this drainage. We can hear down this drainage. Maybe we can hear down across this mountain. Maybe we can hear, you know, both sides of this saddle. But every night, that was something that was a priority. And we would kind of, at times, even go out of our way to find those locations. So I was, as as you were teaching me that, I'm like going back and I'm thinking, you know, that's what I'm doing in, tur in the turkey woods. And I actually had the best season that I'd ever had up to the point of turkey the next year because I, I used what I had learned elk hunting to like, uh, it's like it, it's something I already did and, and knew, I suppose, but I took way more advantage of it even yet. It was like, it's kind of like I was talking about just a minute ago. We were talking about roosting. I'm not always worried about roosting a turkey because I trust if I can get to that place I can hear the most, I'm going to be on a gobbling turkey tomorrow morning. Huh. Same thing with elk hunting. It's like if I can get to a position where I can just hear the entire world... Even if I was day hunting, that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to get up to a point where I can hear a lot and just listen and just kind of let things play out and then make my moves in. And I think that, you know, that's like a huge similarity in strategy. You can't hunt a gobbling turkey turkey or bugling bull if you don't hear them because you've got yourself buried down in a creek bottom somewhere. Right. And, you know, and that's something that I guess I, I really, really, really hammer home to my buddies when I'm hunting with them now. It's like, this is the number one priority to me. I want to hear turkeys, elk. Yeah, like, and sometimes you got to give up some hunting yep. near the end of the day to just be like, all right, let's put the boots on and climb, yep. you know. Yep. Yeah. The, the the day, or well, I guess, I don't know, it was like two or three days I went back in between hunting with you, Ted, Wes, and Zach, and Ben and Colin, we're going to go with me for um, another week or so. Actually, that first year I elk hunted, I hunted like 18 days or something. Like, it was awesome, you know. So, I got a ton of experience in one season. Honestly, probably more than most people get in two seasons. So, I was really lucky um, and obviously really lucky to have to have gone hunted with the born and raised guys, right? Like, that's a, that's a luxury. But... I remember going back to the map and just being like, like, I'm going to find the spot. Like, we're going to walk right to that spot. Like, as soon as Ben's here, we're going to drive up. We're going to hit the public land. We're going to hike straight to that spot. And that's where, you know, I I didn't know where it was yet. But, like, I started just looking at the map and had picked that spot on the map, you know, like two days before we even went back there. We got there, hiked straight in there, got there at last light, next morning heard a bull like didn't even have to do anything and since then the best days that i've had elk hunting have been exactly that it's like pick the spot well in advance even as early as in the morning it's like okay we're gonna make this route towards this location and ultimately end up here even if like you said it's gonna cut out a little bit of time to get to that spot same thing in the morning a lot of times for turkey it's like i'm gonna walk straight up to that high point because i know from right there i can hear any turkey that's going to be within a mile of me and then you never walk away from a bugling bull yep. or a gobbling turkey yeah which we did the other day 
Oh, that was that was probably pretty foolish of us, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just one of those things. Looking back on it, because learn from it. If we would have walked eighty yards into the next little pocket and had one just hammered one hundred fifty yards down the draw, we would have been like, so we wouldn't have ever even thought about that scenario. Right? Yeah, you're yeah. right. But but like we had talked about, maybe that was a situation where we shouldn't have. Okay, to to paint the picture a little bit, so we're not just talking about our own memory and not telling the listeners. Like we had walked up on this high point where we were able to hear quite a lot and we were pretty close to, you know, some plan B's. We'd heard the turkey pretty far away, but he was definitely on public land. You know, he was gobbling and instead we were like, oh, let's go hit these other areas that we can hear that are a little bit closer. We probably should have just hit those next areas and when we didn't hear anything we probably should have just been like okay now it's time to go over there mm-hmm. let's commit because when we did hit that next high point or two you know maybe 400 yards total away from where we were hearing the bird we probably could hear you know enough to say all right it's probably worth going back the other way but you learn from it and i think i do think so i'm curious here's a question for you because it's one of those things, like, is it worth chasing a bull way, way down, way down into the into the hole, especially if you've got time? Like, I'll paint a picture for you. It's day two, and you're in an area, and up to this point, like, you're not seeing hunters. You're feeling confident. You're in bulls, and it's like you got an hour left, and you're going to camp tonight, and there's bulls way, way down below you. Is there ever a situation where you're like, let's just hang loose here, listen to them, and then we'll go after them tomorrow when we know like they're using this area? Or are you... How much daylight left? An hour. How far are they? Let's say they're... Let's say they're six-tenths of a mile. <laughs> the, yeah, you run. Go for them? Yeah. That's... Yep. Every, but a hundred percent of the time, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Is there's never a situation, but that's our strategy and our playbook. Our approach. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty aggressive in that sense, and it. There's been a couple that we've killed that I would have said at the start of that, uh, this is going to be impossible. Like okay. we don't have enough time. Our very first bull that we ever killed on film in 2007 was one of those cases. Like we had. It was probably that far or further, uh-huh. and we had about 30 minutes of light left, and we had a wall of salmon berries. Like, I just remember, like, pushing backwards to try to get through them and just break <laughs> them. And I'm like, what are we doing, guys? Like, Trent's like, we got this. Let's just go kill him. And we broke out there, and he was right below us, and we shot him, I shot him, and we, it was, you know, and, like, it was one of those, like, all right. We can't turn around, like, not try, because tomorrow morning, he may not be bugling. Right. Yeah. You, because you never know what happens during the night. Yeah. It, and you never know what happened to him yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it might be the day that that bull's willing to die. Like that. You know? Yeah. That makes me think of two things. There's one thing that I know I always think about, and and we always say, and there's one day every year that every single bull wants to die. Mm-hmm any of them. I don't care which bull on the mountain it is. 
And then the second thing is like it's like the old the old saying of you know if it's the last night on your hunt, are you gonna let that bull sit down there? Mm-hmm. No, right. And you can't kill a bull today if you're waiting for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I and I the reason I ask that is not because I think I necessarily feel any different. I I just ask. Yeah, I guess out of curiosity, because from a hunting standpoint, I'm like a whitetail hunting standpoint, the the most ridiculous thing ever that I see people doing in whitetail hunting is they're like looking at a big buck and they're just like, oh man, I hope he would come closer to my tree stand. It's like, dude, you know he's right there. Like Like his body exists right there where you can hunt. Why are you not pursuing him? A lot of it is a lack of confidence because whitetail hunters generally don't hunt mobile. They, they you know, yeah. mobile on the ground. Yeah, mobile whitetail hunting is is uh, hunting a different tree every day. Yeah, but I, you know, to me, it's just like if he's over there, like get over there. Like you know, you can you can do the same thing you can do with bull elk and, <laughs> and tom turkey with a whitetail buck. I yeah. mean, you get in his grill and you start raking trees and grunting, like, sun's coming up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I can think of two scenarios this year where we went against our playbook and it didn't end up in our favor. And what happened was we saw, on two different accounts this year, we saw elk before we were really hunting them. And that was two giant bulls that were both over the counter bulls on different parts of the state where we hunted both those bulls in both scenarios for three days. And we almost were so in awe and shock of how big they were for the area they were in that we almost played too safe. And that was like our main takeaway from it is if, man, if we saw that bull and it was a raghorn and we have taken the exact same steps to try and kill him, probably not. That's, you know, and that was something that we reflected on a ton. Yeah. There was, on both scenarios, the first one was Roosevelt that we saw in an area that these guys have hunted for 20 years. No. Um, 15. Yeah, pushing 15. So, yeah. Yeah, right at 15. We were mid-calling scenario. We didn't know. You know, we saw him at 120 yards. And then the next three days, it's like, man, we were tiptoeing around this bull trying to get him killed. And then fast forward later on in the season, we were in the eastern part of our state in another over-the-counter unit. And we saw a bull that was... It was definitely the biggest bull I've ever seen in Oregon or maybe anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we stayed on him for three days just trying not to bump him out of the county, you know. And I don't know if – it's hard to say. Like, maybe we were more aggressive. We kill him. Maybe we don't. But it's one of those things to reflect on. It's like I know personally I did things more conservative out of – I don't know if it's fear or whatever else. But you have this – this giant bull that'd be the biggest thing maybe any of us have ever killed, you know, and you're wanting to play it safe and not ruin it. And then at the end of the day, we didn't get him killed. I got, I got some, I got some thoughts on this, but it's whitetail. So two years ago, 2020, I had pinned the spot before we went to do the public land challenge, Pennsylvania public land. I'd pinned this spot. It was a select cut. So, Essentially a clear-cut understory, but standing oaks. Went back there to scout it with Greg the first day I was in there, and just insane. Like, buck sign everywhere. 
rubs everywhere, scrapes everywhere, fresh tracks, feeling good. So what ended up happening is, is I had deemed in my head like, oh, big buck in here. Like, we're going to hunt this area down. And instead of like going to the X like I had in previous years, I kind of just like got into the safer areas and was kind of playing it safe. Like, well, let's just kind of hang back, see if we can get a visual of something coming through here. And instead of just going right into the pin, I had a pin the whole time that I had pinned 10 days before we got there or whatever. And I, and that was a spot that I was like, that's where the X is. That's where the buck, that's where Buck's going to bet. It's right there. It was the, the nose of that ridge. It's right, exactly the same terrain feature that we've been talking about. You take a finger off of a ridge, one side of it's select cut. It flattens out on top. He's going to bet right on the transition of that, right? So tiptoed around. Next thing you know, five, six days have gone by. End up finally gonna tiptoe around again one night and somebody's set up in the spot that i was hoping to get to it was sad friday night it was a pa saturday because you can't hunt sundays it was a pa saturday it was friday night and uh there was a bunch of people hunting and i noticed on the way in there was a truck parked on, on the private land and it was like a two mile walk back there from the public access so i'm just like this not making me feel great sure enough somebody set up and it was just like a real obvious easy spot you know it was it was easy if you were coming from the private to get to just a big saddle on top of the ridge which was you know still 200 300 yards from the x so i was just like you know what let's just go straight down into this cut and get right up by that x and sure enough ted and i are creeping through there and there's just all of a sudden there's big beds everywhere big bed big bed big bed Long story short, end up getting right in the grill of that buck bedding area. Ended up killing a buck at three yards that night on the logging road. And it's just like, okay, day six, kill a buck, new state, great. But why did I wait that long to get in there? And had I not ever, had that guy not been in there, I don't know that I ever would have. And I reflected on that a lot, just like you said. I thought about that a ton. It's like, man, I'm tiptoeing around, tiptoeing around. And it's something that I think I think even in 2021 I did too much. Where it's like, you get in your head, and, and this is the disease of big buck culture, is I love hunting big bucks or big bulls or whatever. But when you start letting the fear of failure get in your head, then you start making mistakes because... You're not just playing it the way that you should be. Yeah, you're keeping you, yourself out of the game. A yeah, bit. you're like going against the grain. You're going against your, your your you're not following your playbook. You're not listening to your gut. You're just kind of like, oh, I better kind of hang back here. It's like now, another thing that I do is I worry that there's not another one. Right? Okay, so big bull. You see this big bull? You're like, I've never seen one that big before in my life, and it's like. Yeah, but there's another big bull that you would love to shoot, right? And we all get that. Like, you see the big buck, you see the big bull, and you don't get him, and you're just like, ah, damn, man, like, I didn't get him, and like, I'm never going to get another chance. And then if you stay persistent, though, you do get another chance. Right. And you're happy <clears throat> as heck about it because you, you got another opportunity. And 
we found a couple big sheds the other day. Big old sheds. And that's confirmation to me that it's like there are more fish in the sea. There's more big bucks in here than I even think there are, really. So that was a huge confidence boost for me, just simply from an aggressive standpoint, right? It's like, I can be aggressive because even if I blow this one, there's this one. Don't care. Don't worry so much about that big buck or that big bull because there is another one. Even if it's the biggest one you've ever seen, even if the next one's not quite as big, you're probably still going to be pretty proud of it. Pretty stoked. Yeah. Yeah. You already tell the story of your... Colorado bull or Trent didn't have his bow. Oh. Just on the topics of two giants in one area. Yeah, no, I yeah, that's a really good correlation. Um first first year we've ever hunted Colorado, roll in there, bunch of trucks trailhead. We're like, Man, this is gonna be tough. First night in there calling a bull, one of the biggest bulls we've seen. It was I don't know, I just for a range of reference, probably like a 330 bull. Comes in, almost get him killed, blows out. We climb up on this knob. Next morning, wake up, screaming bulls everywhere. And it's like, all right. Within the first half hour, we were on another six point. We finally, like, Trent and I took off chasing bugles. Steve and Ty took off chasing bugles. We dropped down. This bull comes in, shoot it. It's giant. Like at that point, biggest bull I'd ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Got him killed. Um, while we're taking care of that bull, we hear a stick pop. We kind of stop. This bull bugles. It's like, huh? Trent's standing over the pack because we're like loading meat halfway done with this elk, and out steps a bull. Every bit as big as the bull I just shot. It was 360 plus. <laughs> 20 yards. Seven minutes. I filmed him for seven minutes. It's just disgusting. And our rule in Born and Raised was if you're running camera, you don't have a call, you don't have binoculars, and you definitely don't have your bow. And Trent had his bow that morning. Ty flicked him some crap and said, what, you, gonna, you guys going to shoot two? No, leave your bow here. Trent's like, all right, unclicks it off his pack, and we would have had two unbel- like talk about a viral video. <laughs> you went viral with that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you did go viral with it without even yeah, killing the I second know, one. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just one of those things. Like you never know what's around the corner, mm-hmm. and if there's habitat that raises one, it's probably habitat that raises two or more. Yeah, or so. seventeen of them for all we know. You know, it's it's like it's just crazy how. Yeah, you get in your head, though, that you see this one, and playing it safe is not, it's just definitely not the option, though, to me, because because what ends up happening, then, is you spend too much time on on something that otherwise, you know, you'd just blow, blow through, and that, it's, okay, so a good example is, we can relate it back to our current situation, mm-hmm. it's just like we hunted an area today. It's like we probably messed, you know. We we definitely were we definitely were putting hunting pressure on turkeys in there. It's like let's just hit something else. Yeah, we got all these different places that like we got confidence in. It's just like let's hit something else, go somewhere fresh, hunt it aggressively, and like honestly, chances are, it'll probably work out for us. And and I think that to me that's one thing that I always got to remind myself. And I do I honestly do a better job when I'm the cameraman. 
Just me pushing, too. just like pushing. Yeah. Like, hey, let's just get right in there. I, like, why I, would I we think get right we all, I, I, we could all attest to that. That it's like, as the hunter, you're like running those doubts, second guessing yourself. Yep. Then you have someone over your shoulder, like, no, let's do that. Okay. Yeah, I think like we all, especially like within born and raised group, it's it's just speaking for myself from a cameraman. A lot of times, it's not like, oh, it's so clear, but it's my judgment's a lot less clouded seeing from that and not being the shooter towards mm-hmm. like we all whoever's filming versus whoever's the shooter all of us do it like turn to the cameraman whoever's <laughs> filming and go what do you think about this call mm-hmm. like you see me do it a lot today yep. whereas not in the past right and it's because it's like as a shooter i don't not let i don't even want to say my judgment's clouded but you you second guess yourself more and to have someone you trust behind the camera or running the calls can be such a great tool and always to be able to put yourself in a position where your pride is never in the way um, to receive help from the people that you're hunting with. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day you're hunting with them because you trust them, you know, they're good hunters and you trust their judgment. I think for me, it's like hunting with somebody. Um, it helps boost my confidence and it helps me just go with my gut a little bit better mm-hmm. and i kind of i kind of lost what i was gonna say unfortunately i'll, I'll remember go uh, ahead, so Cody. I, I yeah i think this is a good little side tangent talking about hunting partners uh-huh. the value of having a team or multiple or just one whatever it is where you guys get so in tune with each other what's going on thoughts have similar ideas or um putting patterns together and applying that that it's huge advantage going into the woods with someone that's got your back and there's like you trust thick and thin yeah we killed a bull 15 miles from the trail (laughs) or actually seven what was it It was 15 15 um that is willing to do that and i will say from experience the mountains either gonna break that yeah build it yeah and um i've heard a lot of horror stories of guys that, like going on a, their first elk hunt out of state and they're there three days and like i gotta go home or this sucks i don't want to be here yeah there was one guy i met in 2018 in colorado um travis dushik from i think he's from wisconsin those Wisconsin guys, man, they are everywhere. Yeah. Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're everywhere. Yeah. I'm surprised we're not seeing them here. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but his his buddy bailed on him at the last minute. So he had this whole trip planned and backpacked solo into the wilderness. Wow. Like, yeah, it was crazy. I think one thing that I, I remember what I was going to say now about the hunting partner thing. The reason I like to ask is... If I'm with you guys and I start making this decision that you guys think is bogus, you're going to start just being like, well, this is never going to work. And if your confidence is down, my confidence is down. If I can feel that you're back there hanging your head, kicking sticks, yeah. I'm just like, well, okay, like what can we do differently that's going to make you motivated to like make this move? What is it that you would want to do and how can we like, you know, make yeah. this work and I, and I and honestly that doesn't happen very often but if it does it's like i like to i like to like address it right out of the gate it's like what what's up like 
Yeah. Are you not having fun? Are you not, uh, do you not have confidence? Do you yeah. want to do something different? And like, there's definitely times where I can read that and my hunting partners and I have a lot of them, honestly. And I feel lucky to, to be that way. Yeah. But it's like, if I can tell somebody's just like not level 10 pumped, I'm just like, Hey, what's up? Like, what do yeah. you want to do? You know? Yeah. And it goes back to the pride and trust thing. Yeah. If you're with your hunting partner and at the end of the day, it's because you trust them and you enjoy hunting with them. If they have something in their gut that they want to do, which isn't your first thought, rather than thinking about, man, I would go about this differently, go, all right, let's do it. And then go all in on that idea mm -hmm. because that's something at the end of the day that you're going to want them to reciprocate mm -hmm. when you just have that feeling and you know, or even if you don't, but there's something you want to try and you think it could benefit to the outcome. You're going to want that support from your hunting partner, even if that's not exactly what's going on in their head. And it happens all, it happened today. And I told you, like we were at this crossroads where we're either going to go back up the ridge we came and try to get back on the bird we we're on this morning which is what i was thinking my in my head once we were kind of sitting there not talk just listening um and then we kind of reconvene and you say well what if we drop across this draw and go up into the other side of this bowl and in the back of my head i'm thinking well i think we'd be able to hear that from here and there's a bird we know that there's over here but then it takes that you just have to take that half second to go he's confident in this let's do it and then you go all in on that mm -hmm. and it's not dragging your feet up the whole right. the hill the whole time and if it doesn't work out you're not getting back to the pickup and saying i told you so right, right. you know because <laughs> yeah. it very well could have yeah you know yeah. well and in, in, in what we did in that situation too is you threw you did say hey like you didn't just say hey like, yeah we'll go with it no you yeah. didn't you, you definitely yeah. like pitched your idea too and then we and then we discuss and say yeah. okay like yes and yes and yes and but but you know we'll circle yeah. back and, and then you kind of like <clears throat> yeah. bring it all full circle and i think to me that's that's when you really yeah. are, are in it with with right. your hunting yeah, partners yeah. when you, when you can like break down the reasons and be like okay i understand your perspective what about this and then you're like okay now i get your perspective what about this and you're like well we could do this and this and then it's like right okay yeah done and, 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 this, and if you're doing that keep hunting with that person yeah <laughs> well this relate like this communication style works for all relationships in uh -huh. life, you yeah. know and if you're able to communicate with someone like that and bring both sides and perspectives in those are things that will go a long ways in life no damn, matter the relationship damn, bro, that's deep <laughs> <laughs> you almost had like a theo vaughn tone to you right there <laughs> Kind of looks like a, I don't even know, Northern Theo Vaughn. <laughs> hey, I just want to like dive into your personality, your multiple personalities, voices. Do you, have you brought that to the podcast at all? Uh, I mean, it, it definitely peeks through every once in a while. Yeah, the, the, it's so weird. It sounds like I have like a multiple personalities disorder, but <laughs> like, that's what's going on in my brain. I like. I just always find it really interesting and I feel real fortunate to meet so many different people from across the country. Like, you know, part of the season will be down south and you know, that's different than what I grew up in, it's different than what I live in, but then different times of the year I'll be up in Wisconsin. Yet again, totally different from what I grew up in, live in. Pennsylvania is different, you know, Maine is different. 
out in Colorado or Oregon. I mean, those places are going to be different. So I just really enjoy, you know, the different, uh, the different ways folks talk across the country intrigues the hell out of me. And I've always just tried to kind of mimic it a little bit. Yeah. And it's not, I, I guess, I guess it's like. Some people could probably take it like, oh, you're making fun mocking. of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's not. I, I found myself jumping in with Josh, yep. you know, in the same, y'all be safe. <laughs> Josh, y'all Josh, be good. Josh Elderton yeah, is, is who he's talking about, the untamed. And yeah, that's. That's like it. So, my girlfriend told me once, and I don't know if this is just some BS that she's saying or if it's actually true, but it's like <laughs> a, a quote of hers is like, and I could be saying this wrong, but like mockery is a form of like flattery. Yeah, yeah right. Because yeah. it's like if I'm acting like you, then I think you're cool. And like, honestly, that's true. It's like when I listen to like Mike Pentecost is a guy that we just crack up at. The way that dude is that's that's Mike Pentecost is we call we call him Mike Haven sometimes because he's Mike Mike Pentecost Woodhaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Haven. But uh his antics and everything are just awesome. The dude's so entertaining, he's so fun to be around. So like trying to act like that a little bit and just like really take a note of the way he talks, the way he holds himself. I I just really enjoy like kind of studying that across the board, across the country. So then I'll start doing it, you know, I'll start talking in a totally different voice. I mean, I have so many characters. If you were to go through my Snapchat right now, you'd like just see what I just filmed myself talking like, just sending to my buddies, you know, like it's absurd. It's like, you know, I got the smoker, I got the, you know, the southern, I got the northern, I got the... Appalachian. Yeah, I got the, the guy that says, uh, too much, you know, it's like... <laughs> you making fun of me? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I haven't. And, um... And, uh... But, like, uh, what uh, it boils down to is having fun in the woods, and that's yeah. something we turn back to all the time, is like, man, if you're not having fun doing it, and, and I think people get having fun confused with not taking something seriously. Mm-hmm. And you can take the hunt seriously and be in the game all the time, but have fun while you're doing it. Because why else are you out there? Man, I, I like goof off. Like, it'll be like dead serious. Yeah. And I'll just still just be like, hey, like, uh, here's a goof, like, goofing. You know, like, and then I'll snap right back into it. But like, it, it is really interesting um, how. Because honestly, you can tell watching our videos that I goof off a lot, right? Like, it doesn't take long to tell that, like, I goof off a lot. But at the same time, like, I'll snap right into it. Like, and I can be in and out of it in an instant. Then I think that that is a fun, that that's, that's something I like about like, myself is I can snap in and out of, like, goofiness really quickly and, like, it is also really crazy how intense I can get. And I, I don't necessarily think that's something that you probably can tell from the videos is like how truly like intense and like almost like like uh, angry intense it can become. And like it, it definitely in the right situation where like you put a buck bedded or I can see it 
and like I'm gonna put my body through hell and I'm gonna be like halfway mad about it, you know, to get to him without spooking him. I'll do anything. And it's just like that grinding your teeth. Like I love that. That's like my prime. That and that's honestly why I like stalking stuff is because I think it's like one of the things that I can tap into well is just that ultra focused doing whatever it takes to get there but then like on the other hand it's just like we'll be walking through the woods and i'm just like goofing off and, like breaking sticks and throwing you know rocks or whatever you know, just yeah. whatever yeah. it's like it's so like night and day difference but i enjoy that so back on the elk hunting topic mm-hmm. how so you talk about applying the scale from these hills to at the elk woods for someone like run through your onyx program like how you look at things because i know you've got you said you were talking about colorado and you're like i got pins everywhere like how many hours you've spent looking at maps to just be like there's got to be elk here Mm -hmm. what's what's your approach uh you know kind of with anything i would say deer turkey and elk pronghorn for that matter but we'll focus on deer turkey and elk for for the moment it's like water is so important and i know that's like super cliche but like if i'm looking at mountains of colorado looking for elk the one thing that i don't want to start getting too hung up on is just like north uh, okay so let me take a back a step back it'll be like you always hear north facing dark timber yes but if there's no water around there and it's just a dryer and a bone like it doesn't really matter or flat spots or yeah yeah it's like north facing slopes are great and that is generally speaking where they want to be but i had to learn the hard way by going into areas that i didn't consider water enough i one one uh, the second year i hunted we hiked into this area and just busted our ass to get back in there and we're going 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 and all of a sudden it's just like there's just no water here it's just like super dry so then we like went to the next area water as a focus and we were on elk faster so you know then take that into the future and really focus on looking for water so number one thing water number two thing is you know kind of your classic where's the access and i feel like i've created this lens for my eyes that i can just be so fat i don't have to do it all the time i mean i do it for the same lens that i'm looking through for trying to find a turkey or a whitetail is the same exact thing i'm doing to find an elk i'm just looking at it all big picture and i'm just like you know road 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 trail four-wheeler whatever blah 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 like just like where are these big chunks that you know are um kind of kind of obvious where there's no access now that can be problematic too because everybody else can see those things too right it's like if there's a big big chunk that's smack in the national forest okay great example you're turkey hunting if you're turkey hunting in a big piece of public land and there's like the main there's in in almost every like big big chunk of public land generally it's like a national forest and there's like a big chunk in the middle that's got like very few roads in it it's like everybody else sees that too you know what i mean case in point we came here uh-huh. the first night out i was like looking on the map i'm like 
let's go up here. There's some spur roads, but there's no other of all this main crossing roads. Uh-huh. And that's where we saw, I saw a camp with three trucks. I saw three other cars out trying to roost. That's the only place I've seen pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like to a T. That was, they saw the same thing. And then the case in point where you guys hunted today, it's this micro small little pocket that everyone drives by not a lot of access to it yeah there's no parking spot there's no block gated road into it it's like oh just park here on the highway and hoof it up the hill yeah and and you're you were in birds so Mm -hmm. um and same thing and same thing with elk too so one thing that i've definitely started looking at a lot more is like even if there's a road there, it's like if it's super, super steep, super gnarly, or there's a big river you got to cross right off the road, something that is uncomfortable or is going to take like some thought to get through. Because you definitely learned this in Turkey. You said it best when you said the term gated road, baby. I'll hunt gated roads for like the first two days of season. But then past that, it's just like, so has everybody else. Yeah. So it's like those easy turkeys right off those gated roads start to kind of disappear. How many people have stood on each little knob that you go out and stand exactly. off that's 10 yards off the gated <laughs> ridge road? And, or, you know, like they're they're bugling from the same spots. They're calling turkeys from the same spots. You know, they're setting up a tree stand in the same spots. Whatever it may be, it's like we're super habitual as hunters. And... It's really easy to say this, and I, I mean, I really hate to say it because if you're listening for, like, for the answer, you've heard this before, but it's like, you've got to think outside of the box. And I can't exactly explain what that's going to look like every time because sometimes it is a river. Sometimes it is a steep face. Sometimes it is, um, you know, going in on a trail and then cutting back or something, but whatever it is creative access isn't always just jumping in a kayak like like man for so long it felt like creative access was like yeah just boat in well now everybody boats in boating in or kayaking in at this point is not creative anymore because those dang boys the hunting public showed every well you were talking about colorado over the counter earlier until (laughs) born and raised boys showed up it was was a hell of a lot better That's no fair. doubt. <laughs> <laughs> but but point being is is like you got to think in my in my opinion, you got to think what's everybody doing. So no matter what you're hunting, I just really really believe that if you're thinking about the trend, like if you're struggling, if you're struggling due to pressure, what's the trend? What's everybody else doing? How do I do something different? We talked about um, when we were whitetail hunting a couple years ago, and we started to notice that nobody was bow hunting in the open areas because everybody was hunting in the timber where they could put up a tree stand. Nobody was hunting all the brushy habitat because you couldn't put a tree stand up there. Boom, that's the thing. That's your creative access. That's not putting a kayak in. That's hunting somewhere where nobody else is because you're taking the trend and you're just doing something else met another guy in that same area that was doing it uh luke two guys luke and brent killers man they were stalking bucks doing the same thing that we were doing and have been doing it for longer than we had been like they were kind of like you know we started talking about kind of what we were doing and the guy brent was kind of like wait 
know, like started being like, that's what I do, you know, and it was, it was a fun, it was a fun, um, fun, it was fun to talk with those guys. And since then we've, we've hung out a couple times and got a chance to talk with them at length about deer and deer strategy. And I think that, you know, you look at individuals like that and you come across them so rarely it's just like it, again just solidifies like we are habitual every hunter just does the same old thing and and i do too to a certain degree yeah. especially when things are unpressured but it's like as soon as that pressure becomes a factor what can you do differently no and i think that kind of plays into one point i want to talk about people have a plan and then they go in there and it's not what they expected, but yeah. they're like, well, this is what we're going to do for nine days. We're, you know, if we, if we go sit on this meadow by chance, there's going to be an elk that walks through here. And it's like, man, you gotta, you gotta move. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, um, you know, I talk a lot about someone going on their first elk hunt, the fear of failure. I'm like, go learn. You're successful at that point. Um, make a change don't be like well i saw a cow back in 1972 <laughs> yeah. here you know uh, I'm gonna... <laughs> see those aspens there's gotta be a bull in there at some point this yeah. month That's yeah right. i right. mean <laughs> you know it's just one of those things like don't be afraid to move mm-hmm. and try new stuff because it, and i think we can all attest to this i'd rather hunt new country than yeah. go to a place that i've yeah. hunted a ton before because yeah. Then you have this expectation of what it should be when you go there. Yep. Well, last time we had a bull bugle here. We had a bull bugle here. You go up there and you don't hear anything. You're like, oh, man, this sucks. And you're like, the intensity level is already dialed back by three. You know, mm-hmm. and then at day two, you experience the same thing. And then it's like, dunk, dunk. and I, I've, yeah. I've witnessed this when we've gone back to elk hunting. And we're like, the first time there was unbelievable. We go back, have expectations, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm. now we did roll back in the same country and got on some bulls when you and I went. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, Trent and Trevor went back there the next year. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, um, yeah, I think, I think the, uh, ability to adjust on the fly be like, well, plan A through Z is gone. We're starting to do a one now. Yeah. So, yeah. and be comfortable with that. And you hear all the time, those old timers, oh, the elk hunt is just getting worse and worse every year. And all you go, I've been hunting this spot since I was 12 years old. You know, and I'm thinking, well, have you tried moving? Yeah. yeah. Have oh, you yeah. tried somewhere else? And as far as like differentiating goes, sometimes I'm a big proponent of the front country. Like that's mm-hmm. one of our plan where, you know, like this, there's this back country craze and everyone can look on Onyx and turn the trail layer on and see all these dotted trailheads and how hard they are to climb. And it's like, man, look at all these pockets right next to the road. And sometimes we'll drive around for three quarters of a day or a whole day just checking spots off the map, trying to find pockets that aren't even that hard to get to but are just getting blown past the one we hunted today for turkeys. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard to get to, but it's just a little chunk and a bunch of people are blowing past it and it's like cody's and steve's bulls this year we found those just like it was in a unit none of us had spent that much time in and we just covered ground and covered ground and covered ground until we were finding pockets of elk and then started hunting those pockets of elk Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do period is drive yeah get to a new spot get ready to drive baby because like 
if yeah. you got the time and and honestly even if you don't think you have the time you probably should have the time because you never know when you're gonna look over and some obvious sign is there yeah i mean maybe it's like literal sign maybe it's a literal animal you know yeah i mean people people say like all the time man you don't see turkeys driving down the road i can tell you right now in the smack mount middle of the hardwood timber in alabama i've seen tom strutting right off the road that we've killed before because they're strutting right off the road i'm not saying that you should spend all day road hunting but when you're on the road pay attention no i mean i i correlate this like we roosevelt hunting it's like it's not road hunting it's rub hunting a lot Mm -hmm. of times like all of a sudden you find a bunch of fresh rubs it's like there's a bull around here let's go hunt him um turkeys in oregon for me it's you see strut marks in the gravel you see tracks he's here yeah and or it's just one fresh trail going through a saddle and it's like that was last night they're in this bowl this morning yeah you know, and hunting it, fresh sign. Yeah, an elk can go through. If a herd of elk goes through one spot one time, they can make a trail. Mm-hmm. You know, and like Cody was kind of referring to earlier, I think a lot of people pigeonhole themselves. All right, they look on the map. Here's a closed road. I'm gonna walk this out two miles this morning, and that's what I'm doing. You're covering one little tiny, and this correlates to what you were talking about: getting somewhere you can listen everywhere, maximizing your time in the woods mm-hmm. you're in one little pocket maybe you're mid mountain all you're gonna be able to hear is 200 yards above you and to the bottom yeah. you know maybe you pop up on that ridge whether it's 200 feet or 800 feet and now all of a sudden you can listen to the entire basin you were walking in and the basin on the other side and you can walk that ridge all the way out to where it benches out into another basin you know it's just maximizing your time in the woods and Rather than just pigeonholing yourself on one hunt that you have in your head, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the one thing that you get when you drive around is you realize also areas that you think are easy to access maybe aren't so easy. Like maybe there is actually a gate there. Yeah. Maybe there's, you know, this road that connects to another road that doesn't even exist anymore, you know. Right. Last time that was open was, you know. 10 years ago or there was a tree 1972 yeah on 17 in 72 <laughs> <laughs> and then another thing i found is like straight up a tree across the road that certainly affects things right it's like there's a tree across the road it blocks off a lot of access to a lot of places another thing that i do deer and turkey i'll literally drive down the road about five mile an hour looking for a triac just sticking my head out the window i'll just stare it's crazy, and you got to have a real – you can't get dizzy easily. If you're one of those folks, I don't recommend this. But if you just can stare at the side of the road, you might seriously find a fresh – I mean, in a t- <laughs> we laugh, but, dude, I found in Alabama one time. I think it was with Jake. We found where two bucks, because we were cruising down the road going slow, two bucks had fought in the road the night before like it was obvious that's what had happened there was all these like push marks and there was these big tracks facing each other it was like two bucks had fought in there it was like well that's where we're going tonight they're both big tracks and we hunted in there we didn't see a dang deer it was (laughs) (laughs) but but point is is like you know the whole the whole reason that we hunted there is we're like man these deer are right by the road we got to thinking about it and it was like, okay, in this situation, we were in Alabama, a lot of pine thickets. We started 
realizing that the hunters were using the trails that go through the thick pines. They were pulling off at the obvious pull-offs. They were probably parking and walking in right there. Where what we started doing is we'd park at those obvious pull-offs, but then we'd walk and use the road as access and cut in and go into that thick stuff right off the road. And it didn't take getting off the road that far, like less than a half mile at times. But we'd be walking down the road like three quarters of a mile just straight up on the road. And a lot of that was learned by cruising down the road looking for crossing trails. And we realized it's like, why? yeah, well, why wouldn't they be right there? Well, nobody's ever going to park right here and go in right here. They're all walking in on those trails that are connected to a, a food plot back in there, you know. It's just like, take the trend, do something different than the trend. And I, I really think that'll bump your odds of learning something, at least being successful, you know learning something is success so for sure i thought it was crazy today like driving in we saw deer boxes and power lines and all sorts of stuff like from the <laughs> airport and then we we're in one little basin or hollow or holler if you're from west virginia today and we saw like i think two different trail cameras and like four different tree stands all in one basin i'm just like man that uh, that's crazy to me and, and it's cool to see that and then your guys's spin on it and what you've been able to do to be successful in the white tail woods by just breaking that mold as far as just hunting on the ground mm-hmm. and like where we found those sheds is a spot that by the rubs and all the other sign um it's somewhere it's a ridge that just parallels the road like 200 yards from the road mm-hmm. the main road and it's just those deer are living up there. There's no obvious but trail from the road. There's though. no parking spot. There's yeah. no obvious trail from the road. They're not coming down off of that ridge right. down to the road. And it's like you don't always have to go way far in. Just look for those small, different terrain features yeah. that sometimes are hidden in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a weird perspective, and I I feel like it can be super frustrating if you're somebody that's just like. I'm trying, like, I'm trying to think of it. It's like, don't, don't, don't overthink it. Yeah. Just be, 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 it's like, it's this weird patience, right? It's yeah. like, it's a weird patience to get to that point yeah. where you're like, you know what? Yeah. That probably does make sense right there. And also reflecting, if you're someone who spent a good amount of time in the woods and you're in that situation where you're frustrated and you're trying, you're, you hear this and you're trying to think outside the box, just reflect. It's as easy as if you're on Onyx or whatever else. Look at everywhere you've ever seen a deer while you're in the woods, whether that's walking into your stand, mm-hmm. walking back on an access point, and then dial it back. Where did you see that deer? What's the terrain features right there where that deer was living during this time of the year? And then expand that horizon. Look for other spots that resemble that, that maybe aren't as easy to get to, whatever else, and hunt those areas. And it can just be as simple as just kind of reverse engineering it. Break it down. I always say that. Let's break this down. Like, yeah. what happened? What could we have done differently? You know, we, we I did think it that po- like the post hunt, even in successful deal, yep. Yep. like what went right, what went wrong, learn from it. Mm-hmm. Whether you need to take notes or you lock it in the memory bank, like and be honest with yourself. I, I'll, I'll this. I will be honest. I have this tendency to like like be defensive right after especially when i'm really mad about one it's like that wasn't on me and then it's like shoot it was on me at least part <laughs> of it you know like yeah. like i talked about elk hunting we were going in and and 
we'd go in on these bulls. We knew right where they were, and we'd blast bugles in their face. And Ben came up to me and was like, hey, man. He's like, <laughs> you know, kind of like, we've been talking. maybe we should approach it a little bit easier next time and i'm like "Ah," you know no and then i got to thinking about it and i'm like you know probably even woke up like the next morning it was just like why not it's not working why not try something different Yeah. yeah and i think that well and then as soon as we did it did work so it's just like that's a great example and like uh i'll use i'll use this this story for just for turkey just since it's on the brain this turkey that came in this video that i just worked on so north carolina heard a bird made a move on him called to him got them all fired up and then i just left it alone but it was pretty thick you know hard to shoot thick uh, up on this ridge and this bird is coming in and he's coming right down the pipe it's like he's taking exactly the trail that we want him to be on he's on he's coming right down a deer trail that we're facing down right on the top of the ridge and at the last minute he gobbles and that's the gobble you guys have been hearing me play it's just that like like super sharp like really loud and he's he's headed right towards us so it's like well no need to call and i would say nine times out of ten probably not but in this situation it was just thick enough that i don't think it would have hurt to give him a or something light just to keep him on that course because he started to cut to the right, which put us into a bad position and put Hayden, the turkey on Hayden's very weak side and then also put a bunch of brush between him and us. He came in and saw us. And, you know, after the fact, I was like doing the breakdown thing. And, and, and I think, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm throwing Hayden under the bus for saying this either. Like afterwards, it was like, he was putting away and he turned his head towards us. I was like, you probably could have got a lot more aggressive and just got yourself up to where you could shoot him. I was like, you didn't really move, which, you know, I understand that thought too. It's like, Oh, I'm pro- like, I don't want to move. I don't want him to see, but he putted and was, tr- I mean, he had the back of his head straight to us. And in that situation, that turkey can't see you, right? It's like, that's his one. That is his weak spot is the back of his head. Anything else he's, gonna see pretty well but he's putting he's moving back of the head and in my head i was thinking well that was hayden's bad but then afterwards i get to breaking it down more and i start to be more honest with myself and i'm like i probably should have just called because it was so thick and just confirmed because at this point he had walked 200 yards to us i mean so he know. he wasn't skirting you he's just yeah, searching he's just yeah. seeking and he had been coming down that trail, and he's spitting and drumming like he's also calling to that. He's calling to that hen. He gobbles, you know, and then we're just dead silent while he's looking for her. So I have a question. There was a comment on our Flyway channel the other day on a bird. Um, a bird gobbled, and I called, hen called at him. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, you don't want to do that. His And, and I... I could see the point. I was curious on your opinion. He said that that confirms that you're coming to him. It can. And Today that, it did. That, that, and that'll lock him up. So, oh, man. You get me down a rabbit hole, boy. I, I, so, individual turkeys is something that, like, I continue to just be completely intrigued by. Like, everyone's different. And the cadence of the way they're gobbling... 
um, you know, you hear the classic, like, you take their temperature. And, like, yes, that's true. But you're basically trying to, like, read what type of turkey that is and what you need to give him. What does he want? In the situation where a turkey, you like, he's pretty stationary. He's gobbling a lot. In my opinion, in that situation, he's probably just trying to call the hen to him. So, yes, if you respond to his gobble... I think for that individual might even bird, lock him down it might more. lock him down. He might gobble more and more and more. And, and, and what we tend to do when birds gobble more is we tend to call more. But after just like, you know, a lot of days hunting turkeys, there's a certain level where I said, like I said today, they gobble too much. Where it's like, something's going on with this dude. Like, whatever it is, that's his strategy to get a hen is I'm going to just call so much. Because that's what he's doing. Like, the, the gobble is so much louder than a hen call. It's like he's calling to hens. And if he's standing in one spot just going berserk and you keep calling to him and he keeps going more and more berserk without ever moving, it's like you're probably better off, especially if a certain amount of time has gone by, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes has gone by and he hasn't moved and you just keep calling at him. It might be time to be like, okay, Let's regroup. Let's hit a different angle and kind of approach this a little bit different. Maybe you approach it with start with scratching or only scratch. But on the flip side, it's like if a turkey's hot and he's going on his own. But uh, so so and that's not true because the turkey that gobbles too much also is doing it on his own. There's two different ways a turkey gobbles on his own. He gobbles at something or he gobbles on his own to nothing. That turkey's freaky. He's bad news. You don't like that, dude. Turkey that gobbles at something, he's just hot. He's just like, I'm just enjoying life, baby. Crow flies over. Woodpecker. He gobbles at it. But then the turkey that's just like gobbling at nothing, the crow flies over and he doesn't gobble. But then he just makes the decision to gobble on his own. He, in my opinion, is calling to the hen. I know that's super deep and weird maybe, but like... Again, it's just like too many days. But then maybe there's a third scenario where there's a turkey who's hot, gobbling on his own, searching for a hen, traveling. Yeah. And they'll oftentimes be on the ridgetop and you'll hear them. Maybe they're gobbling on their own and gobbling to everything (laughs) and they're moving along and they're searching. That's Mm -hmm. a scenario where he's gobbling for a hen, but he's probably also killable Mm -hmm. because that's what he's doing. He's searching. There's There's a turkey that gobbles too much that I've hunted too multiple times different areas different subspecies even where they gobble a bunch and they constantly are moving and then every once in a while they'll just hit a spot where they are good and they feel comfortable and that's where you start to like cut that distance but he's just still just non-stop pow 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 and you get to him and you get right where you're whatever like the perfect setup you're 100 yards from him he's just over the rise and you hit a call, and that's it. Vanished. And it's like he's been gobbling for like two hours, and all of a sudden he vanishes. It's like there's something has happened to that turkey that he, like whether it be he got beat up by another turkey and he just simply does not want to hear from other turkeys. He's <laughs> he's gobbling so much that he just wants that hen to appear. He doesn't want to hear about it. He just wants her to appear, or he's been shot at by a caller, a hunter, or whatever he associates that sound with danger in one way or another, whether that's 
hunter predation or getting beat up. But that's a long way of explaining that theory. Oh, it's good. And I like, you know, another another thing to maybe, I, I would imagine people have heard this thought before, but turkey that has hens, this is a very general rule, but it's very, very true in my opinion. It's like turkey that has hens generally kind of goes down. You know, he's the bird that's on the bench. He's the bird that's in the creek bottom. He's the bird that doesn't, you know, gobbles on the limb and then shuts up. The turkey that is alone and is your favorite one to go at is the sun that comes up he goes up to a spot where he can cast his gobble down to where hens frequent and he gobbles at stuff he's like you know crow flies over and he's not doing it like every three seconds or every 10 seconds he's doing it every like couple minutes he's gobbling just enough to keep you kind of moving in on him you get to that position where you become that hen and you know you give him a little something always start light on a call too because it's like if that turkey's gobbling and you get real real aggressive right out of the gate and that's not what he wants or you know he then he or it is or maybe it is what he wants right and it's what that guy said that's what's going to bring him uh, or hang him up it's like oh she's coming to me right so like sometimes um, one one of my favorite things to do is answer another turkey so, like, if I'm hunting this bird, but this bird is, like, 400 yards away, and, you know, the one that I'm after, he's gobbling at 150 yards, and, pow, he gobbles. You know, 30 seconds, a minute goes by, 400 yards, pow, and hit him back. Your close bird generally gets pretty irritated at that. And it, it's, you kind of got to get yeah. in their head a little bit. I mean... You're talking to a complete weirdo right now. Keep that in mind. Like, this is a lot of days thinking about this stuff, but I really, really do enjoy that individual. So, at the end of the day, it's 11, well, yeah, it's 11.30. Holy shoot. Um, To wrap this up, (laughs) if you're a good turkey hunter and you have the desire to go hunt elk, or you enjoy, I'll rephrase that. If you enjoy turkey hunting, go chase some elk. Yeah. You will not regret that decision. Yeah, and honestly, if you like, if you like one form of hunting, find a way to challenge yourself in any animal you chase. Make it something that you're getting the most out of, and you're gonna enjoy it. And in in respect that that it's not just about success, because I think the fear of failure can override getting the most out of it does that make sense yeah yeah so i'll use a quick example you're a deer hunter and you love deer hunting but turkey hunting's always just eh, it's on the back burner but you kind of always do the same thing you always go tag out you always hunt the same you know couple properties you know you always use the same strategies maybe you're hunting you know the same thing like you're using blinds and decoys or whatever it's like what can you do different to challenge yourself to get the most out of that? To tra- Because think about how much we've compared all these different... Whitetail, uh, turkey, elk. We're comparing these because we learn things by hunting all of those different species and then we take it to the next thing. You're not going to be as good of a deer hunter as you possibly can be if you don't respect the turkey game. You're not going to be as good of a, 
uh, uh, elk hunter, I don't think, is if you don't take respect to turkey. You know, all those things, you're learning by being in the woods. And if you appreciate that, you're going to become a better hunter. Love it. Yeah. All right, let's go to sleep and go hunting in the morning. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>